Hurting Her Story is proudly sponsored by the Florida Cattlemen's Foundation. The Florida Cattlemen's Foundation is dedicated to sustaining a viable ranching industry in Florida through the development of future leaders. The Foundation Board is committed to raising and distributing funds for a wide variety of projects in the areas of research in the cattle industry, educational programs, leadership development programs, and the heritage and historical projects such as the ranching exhibit housed at the Florida State Fair and their signature event of the Florida Ranch Rodeo State Finals and Heritage Festival. Hurting Her Story is also proudly sponsored by Dale and Beth Carlton and family. We thank them for their support and commitment to a sustainable Florida by investing in the future generation. Welcome back everyone to the Hurting Her Story podcast. My name is Gina. And I'm Mary Margaret. We wanted to say thank you to everyone who's listened to our first podcast episode and to everyone who showed so much support to us in this podcast. We really appreciate your kind words and cannot wait to hear more back from y'all. We introduced ourselves and talked a little about our background in the first episode a few weeks ago, but we really wanted to take a deeper dive into our stories because We know we're asking our guests to really open up to us and to our listeners about their experiences, and it would only be fair if we start by being vulnerable, open, and honest and share our stories first. Plus, we want all of y'all to get to know us a little better for those of y'all that don't already know us. Today, we are going to hear from no other than Miss Mary Margaret herself. We'll hear about her family history, how she grew up and got involved in the industry. I know you mentioned that you're a seventh generation Floridian in the last episode. And, you know, I know that holds a lot of meaning for you. Can you talk a little bit about your family's history? We're originally from Wales. Uh, We first came across the the pond to the U.S. and settled in New Bern, North Carolina. And then we trickled down from there to Florida. So Isaac P. Hardy was the first generation in Florida. He came to Florida after he got a land grant after he served in the Second Seminole War. So I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time diving into the early history about the family because I don't want to bore y'all to death. But I will tell the stories of Isaac's first and second wife. (laughs) So his first wife, I don't know, know the exact details of how they initially met. But the story goes that I guess she was getting married to another man in Lake City and Isaac I guess quite literally stole her, again, this is on her wedding day, took her back to Tallahassee with him, and then they built a life together. But apparently he had his workers also steal all of the wedding food there while they were there as well. So he stole the bride and the wedding food. So he literally just like took her straight off of the altar and was like, ain't no way you're going to get married to me. Yep. Mm -hmm. And while you have all this wedding food, like we'll take that too. Yeah, pretty much. That's iconic. (laughs) It really is. (laughs) And then, so I guess his first wife died. Mm -hmm. And this might, it's hard to follow sometimes, but his first wife died. And then his brother also died, leaving his brother's wife a widow. So Isaac married his brother's widow for his second. So that's how the two hardy lines were established. And one of them will actually end with me. Um, it's, it's hard 
for me to to think about that sometimes um it's it's always been something that's weighed very heavily on me for those of you that don't know I'm an only child and an only grandchild so if or when when (laughs) (laughs) um I ever get married and have children one day they'll obviously take my husband's last name you can Um, hyphenate though can you well, I already have a hyphenated first name, so okay. it might be a little much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have a point. But, I mean, going back to him marrying his brother's widow, it's, you didn't, they didn't have too much of a travel radius back then. Mm-hmm. You know, going to town could have been a couple days or a week's journey, depending on how far you live from a town. Uh, there's a, a story that one of our descendant not descendants, but... Um, Ancestors? Ancestors, previous generations. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were crossing the Suwannee River. So if you're not from around here, the Suwannee River kind of delineates Levy and Dixie County almost. Mm -hmm. And she was writing a letter as she was in this wagon crossing the Suwannee River. And there's the story goes, there's a quote in the letter, I fear we may never return from this journey. And... That just shows how treacherous or what a big feat that was to to go on this journey to cross a major river back then. Yeah, and you just like didn't know if you were going to come back or not. Right. That's that's scary. um, It's kind of funny because (laughs) there's a big rivalry uh, today for a long time between Dixie and, and Levy County. And when I got, so when I got my license when I turned 16... My I had a radius of where I was allowed to drive, and that boundary was the Suwannee River. I wasn't allowed to cross the bridge. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. So it's kind of funny, but and the rivalry still lives. <laughs> it does. <laughs> um, that's all. There's also like a big drastic difference in the average people travel uh, today versus back then. I mean, they had to ride horses or wagons for days to go get sugar from the nearest town. Right. So, I mean, if you think about that compared to today, I think there was a a study done by the Bureau of Transportation. It was over 50 percent of all trips, the average people for across all modes of transportation Mm -hmm. were less than three miles. That's going to work to the grocery store, going on dates. I mean, just living their lives. Mm -hmm. Average of three mile trips. Heck, you don't feel like cooking anymore. You can order DoorDash. Yeah. I mean, I can't because I live out in the middle of nowhere, but... Other people can. All other people can. <laughs> the, the city folk can. Yeah. So it's just crazy to me to think that most people don't travel very far anymore. Mm-hmm. And to take it one step further, those people also aren't seeing the true native Florida, right? Because they're not traveling outside of the city. Mm-hmm. And... um so I think that's why things like Brad Ferris's Between the Beaches podcast and all the conservation initiatives that Florida has and the working groups, as well as the work being done by the Florida Cattlemen's Association and the Foundation Board, all of those are so vitally important. And without them, one day, Florida will probably be solid, or hopefully will not <laughs> be solid concrete. So drawing that awareness is is so, so important. And without, I mean... What a bleak and, and meaningless life a solid concrete Florida would be, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, people 
I think people nowadays are kind of being a little bit more aware of like what nature has to offer, mm-hmm. but they don't, I don't think they fully wrap their minds around the fact that like that nature wouldn't be there if there was concrete laid down and if people and us and ranchers and didn't do what they did because they think conservation is just wrapped around the fact that you, you know, need to watch out for certain species of birds or whatever, but they never think about like how do we actually conserve the actual land itself so that it's never developed um and And the land is what those birds live on exactly so it's it's all connected yeah that's a huge component that they never think of as someone who's only grown up in the city and known what it's like living in the city and then finally kind of i guess making that transition into being able to be involved in agriculture and see the importance of it I can definitely say it's so absolutely crucial that, you know, we protect our land and resources for generations to come. And I love getting to hear about your family's history and story. (laughs) I think it's such a beautiful thing getting to hear about people's rich history, especially for those in the industry, because they go way back, even from when they first got to America and like settled down to places like Chiefland and whatnot. For me, you know, I've only heard little snippets of my family and like they were from Vietnam and they didn't keep very great records there because it was an impoverished country back then. So, I mean, I just love getting to hear all of that stuff (laughs) because my family's history that I know of only, you know, really goes back to my grandparents. That's as far as we can like remember and get to. That's how far you can track it back. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, and outside of being able to track it back to like pictures and like written words, a lot of it just came from word of mouth for the longest time. So my history starts with my grandparents. But so tell me about what your childhood and early years were like. So I was born into more so a horse family that was involved in the the equine industry, not so much the cattle industry. We had a few cows here and there, but nothing to write home about. I mean, My dad, he has a company, and for a long time, that company traveled over the southeast spraying invasive exotic uh, plants and and weeds for for land improvement purposes. Now he just, he doesn't like to travel so much, so his company treats power poles for the electric Mm co-op. But my grandfather, he was a Florida Park Service Bureau chief and responsible for preserving a lot of the real Florida with the, the park service. That's and awesome. I would consider him one of the pioneers for the park service. So we, you know, you, you've heard that cowboys were the original conservationists mm-hmm. taking care of the land. But I think there's another part to that, that the, the park service, one of the original people to, to set land specifically for conservation, conservation and, and being able keeping to... it the same mm-hmm. and showcasing it as natural. Yeah. Yeah. So he was a big player um, in the park service, <clears throat> but again, we we weren't really involved in the cattle industry. I do have early memories of going to check on the the handful of cows that we did have on a on a lease, and my grandfather would drop me off at the gate when we drove in. I mean, I was weed high, <laughs> and he dropped me off and with a walkie talkie. And he'd have a walkie-talkie himself, and then he'd drive on into the pasture where the cows were actually at. But it was my job to kind of walk around and, or try to walk around <laughs> and search for them and, and tell them where they were. 
it was just a little game that we used to play, but it was fun. I guess that should have been a little foreshadowing mm. about what I what uh, profession that you I would was choose one day. Choose, but that's so yeah. special though, because yeah, kids don't really play outside like that anymore. Yeah, and but so I I showed horses growing up at the local Swanee River Fair and uh, in horsemanship and, and showmanship classes. That was really what I was involved in mm-hmm. a lot. So to say the least, you had more of a passion for horses to start with. <clears throat> Absolutely, yeah. Did you have a favorite horse growing up? Oh, you always have a favorite. So my first horse, she was born the same year that I was. So I was born in 1996, January 3rd. And I, shoot, I don't know or remember exactly when she was born. But she was born that same year. So we quite literally grew up together. Yeah, you were best friends from the start. Yeah, yeah, it was inevitable. Uh, one of my first memories, actually, whether I was really young, probably three or four. And I called her name in the pasture. And so I was, I tried to start running to her and she started running to me and we kind of met in the middle, but she, she was special. That's such a like chick flick moment right there. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So what was the first time you ever fell off a horse or got bucked off then? Oh goodness. There's, (laughs) well, if you hadn't gotten bucked off, you hadn't been riding long enough. Mm-hmm. And we all know that. But it's actually funny timing that we we talk about this because I just recovered from my worst injury to date. I broke five places in my back back in March of 2023. That was a heck of a recovery. My dad, Golly. kind of funny, not so funny story. My dad had broken two places in his back earlier that same exact week. And so when I called him from the ER... Mm-hmm. To tell him like what had happened, it was I had kind of one up to him almost because I broke five to his measly little two. <laughs> You're like, oh, by the way, you thought it was bad for you. I did five. Yeah, yeah, but no. To answer your question, so the first time I ever uh, fell off, I was I don't know, probably ten years old. We were at a Cracker Horse annual gathering, which you know we we were really really involved in. My grandfather was the president of the association for a. Few for a few years. And so we were at an annual gathering there um, at Olino State Park. Mm-hmm. And I I had loped like way ahead of the group that we were riding in. And uh, she stopped really quickly, which by the way, her name was Quick. So she stopped really quickly. <clears throat> Abruptly, I wasn't necessarily ready for it. And I uh, just went whoop, right <laughs> over her head. Oh, man. And so I, I kind of laid on the ground, but she, she stayed there with me. Um, she didn't leave leave me or anything. She stayed there with me, almost protecting me. And she she laid her hoof gent- gently kind of over top of me so I wouldn't move until the rest of the group kind of found us. But um, wow. my, before that, my nickname was Velcro. I kind of lost that nickname that day. <laughs> yeah. That's so special, though, that she didn't just run off and she yeah. stayed with you and watched over you. She was, she was special. Mm-hmm. Anyways, another little chick flick moment. You were made for the movies. (laughs) Oh, absolutely not. (laughs) Absolutely not. But she was a special horse. I had to, I actually had to put her down. Uh, I was away at college and my dad called me and it was, it was time. And he let me make the decision, Mm -hmm. but I knew, you know, it was, it was best for her. So, yeah. So when did you know that you wanted to pursue a career in the cattle industry since you've really only grown up with horses and whatnot? So again, I wasn't super involved in any sort of cattle group. It was mainly equine. And I didn't even know I I wanted to pursue a career within the cattle industry until I was at college at ABAC. 
actually, so I actually went to Berry College right out of high school. I went to Berry College in Rome, Georgia, mm-hmm. and I thought I wanted to be a veterinarian. And anyone who wants to be a veterinarian, like Berry College, is where you go. Yeah, it's it's a private school. It's not a public school, but it is the one of the top pre vet schools. And mm-hmm. so that's where I went. Um, I took actually took organic chemistry, and I figured out real quick. It wasn't for me. <laughs> it's like the story of every pre-vet. Actually, I'm not going to be pre-vet anymore. Yeah. Like, story. It, they call it the weed out class for a reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so I transferred to, to ABAC after that, and I pursued a diversified ag degree with a concentration in livestock production. Mm-hmm. So I, from there, you know, I, I had three internships. Mm-hmm. Um, my first one was at the University of Florida Santa Fe Beef Research Unit in Alachua. Mm-hmm. And I would say my takeaway from that internship is I can spot a, tro- a tropical soda apple from a mile away. Because <laughs> I spent the summer hoeing <laughs> tropical soda apples out of those pastures. I would fill up truck beds full on a daily basis. Oh my goodness. And haul them off and then go back and fill another truck bed up. And it was just awful. It was, it was awful, but you want to know when I worked at the beef research unit, I did the exact same thing, but with thistles, (laughs) I just spent days just shoveling out thistles because like just running them over and like, wasn't enough. I had to like dig them out and just fill truck beds with them too. You know, as, as awful as it was, I would do it all over again before taking organic chemistry. (laughs) Honestly. 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. <laughs> my next, so my next internship was at the Rogers Prison Farm in South Georgia. So it, I know, kind of shocking, but <clears throat> it was. They let you work at the prison? Well, I didn't go anywhere by myself. We'll see. <laughs> okay. I had a, I had an escort the whole time. That's good. That's good. But it was, it was an interesting experience because this, this prison had a farm that grew a lot of the food that the inmates ate. So vegetables, they had a they had a dairy. The inmates also worked if they were good enough for work release, they would <clears throat> work at these different units and mm-hmm. so that was interesting. Um and then my How did you find that internship? Like you don't just like, oh I wanna do an internship at a prison. Yeah, well see college Mary was dating this guy <laughs> and it was nearby <laughs> <laughs> but you got a you got a great so, experience out of it. It was yes, much better than the. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> oh man! So <laughs> you live and you learn. <laughs> so. Then my my third internship was at Etheridge Cattle Company in Williston, Florida with Mr. Brad Etheridge. And I really got to dive into the the traceability efforts there. That was part of when they were starting the pilot project within the state and learn about EIDs and and tracking all of that, which was a big, a big asset to, to, to learn and to be able to put on my resume, which ultimately... Led to my first big girl job at Buck Island Ranch as the administrative assistant there. Uh, so I started there two months after graduating college. Mm-hmm. 
And so I, I collected the, the data on the cattle herd when they came to the pens. But other than that, I pretty much just stayed in the office doing administrative tasks. Mm -hmm. And little by little, I kind of started riding more and more with the crew. Mm -hmm. And now I'm the assistant ranch manager there. So I barely go in the office anymore, I guess. I don't know, probably one day a week if I can, mainly for record keeping purposes. But now I'm just constantly on the go. Yeah, how the tables have turned. Yeah. <laughs> so can you talk about that transition from one job to the next? I would say it was a struggle. I mean, I, probably the biggest struggle for me was was working with the crew in a different dynamic than before. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so previously I was their equal and now they answered to me. So I think they were so used to me being in the role of the administrative assistant that when I became the assistant ranch manager, it was it was hard for them to make that transition. And it's a it's a two way street. I mean, in some ways, I had to earn their respect, but at the same time, they had to accept the new dynamic. Right. I would say one of the most important parts about that transition was them knowing that I would work alongside them no matter what the task was at hand. Right. So whether it be cleaning out hay trailers or putting out 200 pound molasses tubs or cleaning out water troughs or you know any of those tasks I'd, I'd never ask anyone to do something that I wouldn't do or haven't done myself and I think this goes for any leadership position and I'm not saying this from a from a place where I think I'm at the top of the ladder by any means I'm saying this as I still look up to to bosses way ahead of me but yeah in order to be successful in any leadership position, it's important to know and understand what every role brings to the table. Yeah, that's and, such an important lesson. Yeah, and honestly, like, if you're going to ask for a seat at the table, you better damn well put in the work to get there. Oh, yeah, 110%. You know, I I always like to use analogies um, because I'm, I'm a visual learner myself. You do talk in analogies a lot. I do, yeah. So, I mean, I, I think about being in the cowpens, right? Like it's a perfectly orchestrated dance going on. There's a flow, right? There, there's a flow that happens from the back person loading the tub to the person punching the cattle in the chute to the person running the chute itself. And then the people giving vaccines and wormer and tracking the data up front, like <clears throat> everything is perfectly orchestrated and and everyone is important in their roles right and, ev and every position is is important and without one the others wouldn't exist if yeah. one person stops if one person there if the back person isn't loading the tub the front people don't have any cattle to give vaccines to you know so yeah and it's all perfectly well timed when everyone does it right right so so did that transition from one position to another take a long time to happen and like how did you deal with any frustrations that might have come with that well honestly it took a lot longer than I thought it would <laughs> uh anyone who knows me knows that God did not bless me with patience or a facial filter for that matter yeah I can I can definitely vouch for that I can read you like the back of my hand at like all times <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a it's a blessing and a curse, that's for sure. Um, I'm very strong-willed. Like I like things to happen when I think they should happen, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's not always how they should happen or or how they're meant to happen. Like again, another analogy. So it's it's hard for me to give God the reins about something and trust what He has planned 
is much better than what I could ever plan for myself, right? So another analogy. <laughs> so Mary loves her analogies. I do, I do, I do, right? So, so many times, like, I've gone to gather a pasture of pears, and there'll be a cow that wants to turn back and or fights us going to the gate. Nine times out of ten, she's probably telling you she has a calf bedded down somewhere back behind you, and she wants to go back to get it. Mm-hmm. If you sit back and wait and watch and and <clears throat> let let things play out, a lot of times a cow will tell you what she needs. So I relate that a lot to my life. I can be so strong-willed about something and God God isn't done with, with this or that or whatever stage I might be in. And I'm trying to take the reins and I'm trying to steer one direction. Mm-hmm. But uh, but he's got another plan going on for my life and it, it just might not be the right time or it might not be right to make that turn or make that move. Right. So it's one of the hardest things for me, I guess, figuratively speaking, is to woe up and let that cow go back and get her calf. You know, everything and and everyone is going to be better off in the long run. Mm -hmm. So I guess I I say all of that to say, yes, it took a long time for that transition to take place, but it's what was needed to happen for everyone involved. Yeah. You guys really just needed to take that time. Yeah. So kind of moving on, you know, who has been your mentor or mentors from the start of your career up until now? Like who's really just been that person for you? Well, I, you know, I can't say anything without first thanking my family for always supporting me and and being there for me in anything I've ever done. Mm -hmm. I've been blessed with a lot of mentors growing up. But I'd have to say probably my biggest mentor has been Mr. Gene Lawless. Gene has not only been a professional mentor to me, but he's also an inspiration to me personally and, and so much more. He, he's my first boss and he still is today. And he's taught me most everything I know about the ranching world, especially in the real world, not just what's taught in the classroom. In the classroom you know, it's, it's different stepping out to the real world and getting to learn from someone who has a multitude of profound knowledge and experience. Gene always says, no matter what, you always have to do four things in this life. You have to get up, you have to show up, participate, and never give up. And y'all ever feel like you got a devil on one shoulder and an angel on the other whispering different things in your ears? Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> there's days I don't feel like getting out of bed or I'm so tired it's hard to put one foot in front of the other. It's real easy to listen to that devil saying, turn that alarm clock off. Just roll over. It's nice and warm in this bed. Mm-hmm. Well, Jean is my quote unquote angel giving me that push to get out of bed and, and, and get up and go. Now, <laughs> don't misunderstand me. I'm not I'm not saying Jean Mollis is an angel by any means. Yeah. He, he has his moments. If you know, you know. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> but uh, anyways, I... I can truly say that I'm a better version of myself because of him. And I look up to him in in so many ways. Yeah. And he's been a great mentor to the both of us because he gave me my first start. Yep. Um, And I mean, that man just says such profound and amazing things. And that saying where he's like, you got to get up, show up, participate and never give up. That's something that's really stuck with me and I think sticks with a lot of people. So when there are tough days, like you mentioned, or tough situations, 
what do you do to pull yourself through those moments? Like what makes you persevere and get up and out of bed in the morning? Yeah. So besides that little angel on my shoulder. Your little jean angel. The little, the little jean. <laughs> um, there's, there's a few different things that, that I do to tend to help me stay on track and keep a positive attitude. I would say there's, there's three things, right? So the first thing that I do is I pick one Christian worship song a week to listen to every morning on the way to the horse barn from my house. So I, every morning I wake up at like 5.20 a.m. and I meet the crew at the horse barn at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. And the drive from my house is... To the, from my house to the horse barn is roughly three minutes. <laughs> so it's just long enough for one song. That's perfect for one song. Yep. Yep. So I've, I've started to pick one song a week and I listen to that same song every single morning. And the goal here is to really let those words of that song sink in before I even start my day. Mm-hmm. And it kind of sets the tone, right? Yeah. yeah. And this idea comes from a story that I heard about my maternal grandfather, who was a Southern Baptist preacher. He preached the same sermon for weeks and weeks. I'm talking the same exact sermon. The same one. Same one. Word for word. He probably memorized it up at that point. Oh, yeah. So eventually after, I think it was the third week, a member of the congregation came up to him and asked him, what what are you doing? And he said... I'm going to preach this until y'all get it. Dang. And I always thought that was a pretty good, pretty good story. And it inspired my weekly songs. Yeah. He was like, y'all going to learn today. If you're not, you're going to learn tomorrow and the day after and until you get it. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yep. So the second thing that I do is I have a picture of myself as a kid that's on my fridge and I look at it every single day. And I I just, I want to be the type of person that that younger version of myself would look up to and be proud of and proud to know. And lastly, I just try to remember to trust the process. Another analogy. (laughs) Um, I I think about, you know, you ask a horse to to walk through the muddiest deep water hole in the swamp, right? Mm -hmm. That horse don't know what's at the bottom of that black hole or on the other side of it. Yeah. But if it's a good horse, he'll dive off in there trusting that what's on the other side is safe and, and fine. Yeah. And so I just, when things get tough and I'm tired and I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing or what the end goal here, what, what the finish line is or, or, or something like that, I just try to remember to trust the process and yeah. God has a plan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, those are some really amazing ways to keep yourself grounded, I think. You know, like having a morning ritual and being able to, you know, just constantly think about, you know, what am I doing and for what reason type of deal. And thank you for sharing that with us. I think a lot of people might pick up some different morning routines now. (laughs) Everybody should find their own thing. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. You got to find what works for you. Absolutely. So do you have any advice for young females or anyone really graduating college soon and trying to find their place in the industry? My advice would probably be to take your internships seriously, right? So we touched on this in the first episode a little bit about the aspect of getting yourself out there and networking. And I'll just follow up by saying first impressions 
are everything. Oh, yeah. The impression that you leave your employers with after your internship, it will follow follow you, whether you think it will or not. Mm -hmm. I promise you, it will follow you. Make it count. So just like any other career process, your next job will more than likely call your place of your internship and ask about you. How, what type of worker you are and what are you known for. Yeah, and I think people need to be conscientious about who they're around because you never know who's going to ask about how you are and whatnot. Absolutely. And you mentioned be conscientious of who you're around. Yeah. That's not just professionally. I mean, that can go into your personal life too. I mean, the ag industry is very small, right? So you're going to hang out with people in the industry. Yeah. So think about the way you're conducting yourself. Yes. 100%. Um, get gritty, right? So that would be another piece of advice that I would give is just get gritty and prove the ones that don't believe you can. Prove them wrong. Use that doubt that they have as fuel for your success. Mm-hmm. Um, personally... I've struggled with my weight my entire life. I can remember being in elementary school and laying flat down on my bed and then looking down at my stomach and thinking, now it looks flat like all the other girls' stomachs. Dang. And uh, it's hard to say out loud and think back on now, but it's true. Yeah. And comparison is the thief of joy. And sometimes I think we can all catch ourselves comparing ourselves to others, right? Mm -hmm. I will never be a Gina. Yeah. (laughs) And Gina will never be a Mary. And I just, I'm thankful for the body that God's given me. And uh, people will judge me solely off of my weight and think that I can't do half the things that I can. Mm -hmm. And I won't lie and say that that's not hurtful, but I've had to shift that perspective and mindset from that little elementary school girl trying to be like all the others. And now I just kind of chuckle to myself about their doubt and thinking like, watch this and then proving them wrong. Yeah. That's how you really get them. Mm -hmm. So just to wrap up, is there anything you wanted to share with our audience or, you know, anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? So I've never been the best with my words. I've found that poetry has a way of connecting people with words in a way that I never in a million years would be able to accomplish myself. Mm -hmm. And I'd I'd like to share this poem by Tara Rogers that really hit home with me. And I think a lot of other women in ag might also be able to connect to it. It's called Hands of a Woman Like Me. My hands aren't moisturized or manicured, no stylish acrylics or fancy bling. They're short, usually filled with dirt, decorated with scars more than I can count. They've been tasked with jobs unfit for a woman, and they've been broken, no doubt. Many people think my work is out of line, but if they mind their business, I'll mind mine. Because these hands have never been those of a mother. They've never rocked a baby to sleep or sewn together dresses. They've never wiped away tears or changed diaper messes. But they have petted the neck of a sweat-lathered horse. They've been covered in cow shit and many times been covered in blood. They've done the dishes and swept the floors. 
but they've also drug cattle through the catch trailer's doors. They've been loving and soft as I've held someone's hand, and they've been rough and firm on a dog ignoring my command. They don't really fit in any mold, you see, and that makes perfect sense because these are the hands of a woman like me. But there's one thing, there's one thing I can say. You'll find these hands folded in prayer at the end of each day. So it doesn't really matter where you think my hands belong because God made me these hands and he made them mighty strong. Wow. <laughs> she, I mean, she absolutely nailed that. It's very, very special to me. Yeah. So that poem is, yeah. Yeah. So that kind of makes me think of a post that I saw on Facebook and it said, you know, some girls may have French tips, but I have ranch tips. <laughs> And it's a picture of a girl's, like, hands, and there's a bunch of dirt under all of her nails, you know? We, yeah. we all know that. Yeah. Um, and, like, we may laugh at this, because, like, I mean, come on now. Mm-hmm. Some ranch tips. I actually shared that Facebook post. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I think everyone loved it, because yeah. they could relate to it. And, like, we may laugh at something like that, you know, but there's so much that can be said about not only just the dirt under our nails and on our hands, and, like, but the stories that that dirt can tell... Um, even while it's on the ground somewhere and like not only that but thinking about the stories that the lines and scars on your hands can tell yes yeah absolutely so incredible so thank you for sharing that with us absolutely so would i'd just like to say thank you for sharing your story and being so open and vulnerable about yourself i know that can be pretty hard sometimes and i mean we're pretty close friends now since (laughs) We spend so much time working on this podcast together, but I've learned a lot of things about you that I've never even known about up until now. And like, you know, this is a big part of our why for this podcast is getting to hear stories that we've never heard before and learning things about people who we may have met and have been influential people in our lives, but also people we've maybe seen but like never come to know right or even people that we've never met before but you get to hear these incredible stories about these people um and you know the struggles that they faced and how it shaped them to be who they are today and it's ultimately a big part of what led them to their success so thank you for sharing absolutely hope y'all enjoyed it didn't bore you to death (laughs) (laughs) But tune in for our next episode to hear Gina's story. (laughs) And as always, be a lady legend. See y'all next time.